All right, people, what's up? Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. It is Tuesday, September 13th. I am your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier. And over the next 45 minutes, we are going to be going through the top cybersecurity news stories of the day. And I'll be giving my expert analysis on each of those stories on what it means to you as a practitioner. Or if you're looking to break in the industry, we got you covered. Because you're going to be asked in an interview, how do you stay current in cybersecurity? And guess what? Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is a hella good answer. Shout out and thanks to this stream sponsor, my good friend Eric Taylor's company, Barricade Cyber Solutions. Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil. But Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. Check them out at barricadecyber.com. Also, much love and respect to the other Simply Cyber Daily Cyber Threat Briefing co-sponsor, Recon InfoSec. Listen, Recon InfoSec's managed detection and response capability, the MDR acronym, offering includes the people, process, and tech needed to deliver full-spectrum SecOps to organizations of any size. Small, medium, large, we got you covered. They're they're business size agnostic because they can help you. It doesn't matter how big you are. Their MDR service includes fully managed SIM and SOAR and customers gain full visibility into their own environment as well as any incident investigations being worked by the Recon SOC. Check out the links in the description below for Recon InfoSec MDR capability. Now, listen, I want to remind you, if you hold professional certifications that require CPEs, we got you covered. Each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is worth half a CPE, so two and a half a week, ten a month. Say what's up in chat and be sure to document literally the easiest, and I would argue, the most enjoyable way to earn CPEs. Just say hashtag team live if you're live. Love it. Thanks for being here. Looks like we got, what do we got here? 57 people stacking in. It is a Tuesday, so it starts at 10 a.m. while I'm teaching. If you're watching on replay, drop a hashtag team replay in chat. Thanks so much for being here and catching the stream. Now, I say it every day. If you're on team replay, you have the benefit of time travel. So you can jump ahead on your audio podcast app of choice, which it is available in audio format on your podcast. Look up Simply Cyber in your podcast app and subscribe. That way you can listen to it while you're mowing the lawn, working out at the gym, taking a shower. You just get that Bluetooth speaker blasting up into your shower. Who doesn't like a little daily cyber threat briefing in the shower? Am I right? Am I right? Come on. So you can jump ahead. But if you're with us live right now and you want to enjoy the pleasantries because that's what's about to happen, let's do it. For the next two, three minutes, I am super pumped to be welcoming folks into chat before we start the daily cyber threat briefing news cycle. So what's up, Fancy and Cyber, coming in from the NYC, Alphabet City. Elizabeth Perry coming in from the old LinkedIn City. Justin Loken, what's up? Good morning, Justabite. Always nice to see you. What's up? What is Today was Tuesday, so I taught at the Citadel. It was all about denial of service attacks, where they came from. Talk about sin flooding, smurf attacks, ping of death. Thursday, I'm going to continue it in a more modern approach, distributed denial of services, talking about Mirai botnet, Minecraft servers being knocked over, and how Cloudflare and Google are able to defend against multi-terabyte denial of service attacks. 
But that's for my Citadel students. Will Reed's here. Smash that like button. Oh, guys, just a reminder. I will say this. I don't do this often, but I am kind of curious. Take a second. Hit the like button, right? Uh, apparently, if you're live and a bunch of people hit like early on in the stream, uh, YouTube will put it uh, on people's front pages. Um because they're like, oh, people like this. Let's see if other people like it. So do me a solid. Hit the like button. And let's see if we can get more people up in here. Woo! Amigos waiting on the job results. Wow. Love it, love it, love it. Amigos 182. Best wishes to you on the um, on the job results, guys. Let's let's hold on. Let's do some uh, AT aliens. There we go. Got to keep it chill. Yeah, Mac Wells is in the house. Munchkin, do the Carl noise. All right. Cool. There we go, Munchkin. There you go. Smash that like button. There we go. Love it, Carrie. Hey, AB. I don't know if some of you caught it. Hey, Jared Pierpoint. Good to see you. Yesterday uh, evening, 4 to 5, I played uh, Haiku Pro on stream. I'll be doing World of Haiku and Haiku Pro Let's Plays um, every other Monday for the next, you know, couple months probably. Um, and we'll have a good time with that. Reminder that tomorrow um, I will be in Houston. So the stream will be still at 8 a.m., uh, but we will have a guest uh, host, and I hope um, the guest host will do Worldwide Wednesday. See if we can run the continent, uh, the uh, the globe again. Ah, oh, thanks, IDK. Yeah, I mean, I am a, I am a Gen Xer slash Millennial cusper, right? I grew up in the golden age of hip hop, Outkast, Tribe Called Quest, Far Side, Wu Tang, again and again. That's why I always drop cream up in here. What's up, Gil? Good to see you on LinkedIn. John Boarding. Data connectors on Thursday? No, I'll be in Houston tomorrow. I fly out at like 6 a.m. Uh, I give a, a fireside chat talk at uh, Elevate IT, and then I take an Uber back to the airport, and I get back on a plane. I sleep in my bed tomorrow night. What's up, Zach Hill? Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Always nice. All right, guys. Hey, Elizabeth Perry. Good to see you. Garrett Michael Music, Nathan Bolin. All right, guys, looks like it's been a few minutes. Let's bring it to the cybersecurity news, shall we? There we go. All right, guys, sit back, relax, and let's do the news. From the CISO series, it's cybersecurity headlines. It's Tuesday, September 13th, 2022. Google closes on Mandiant. Back in March, Google announced it intended to acquire the threat intelligence firm Mandiant in a $5.4 billion deal. This came after Mandiant itself was spun out from FireEye in 2021. Google Cloud CEO Thomas Curian said it will keep using the Mandiant brand post-acquisition. Curian made the case that the added security talent and tech stack from Mandiant will help Google Cloud reinvent security to meet the requirements of our rapidly changing world. Yeah, hey, real quick, Robert Buchanan, uh, normally the live stream is at 8 a.m. every day, but I teach at the Citadel uh, in their cyber sciences department on Tuesday and Thursday morning. So when school is in session, I am physically at the Citadel's university or at the campus teaching. So Tuesday and Thursdays are at 10 a.m. while I'm teaching. All right, so let's talk about Google closing on Mandiant. I mean, this is just interesting news. Like Google announced that they were going to acquire Mandiant. Like any other acquisition, guys, there is a due diligence period. This, When businesses buy businesses, it's not like going to the store and buying a loaf of bread, right? You don't just grab it, pay whatever they say, and move forward. When you're buying a business, you're like, okay, what's your price tag? 
billion dollars. Okay, we're going to do a little bit of due diligence. Like, are there any, again, exclusively from the cybersecurity perspective, like what kind of tech stacks are you using? What kind of data do you have? Where are all your third-party vendor relationships? What do your contracts look like? Where are your interconnections? Where are your APIs? You need to do all that research. And guys, this is great. Um, if I had to guess, Mandian is like the flagship name in incident response. Like whenever you hear of a major attack, right? Like Colonial Pipeline. Well, they may have called Dragos, but like like any major solar winds, right? Solar winds attack. Mandiant gets called. Major attacks. Mandiant is typically the first name. It's like it's like back in the 50s, like IBM, right? Which many of us, you know, I wasn't around in the 50s. I know I'm old, but I'm not that old. Like IBM was like the flagship of like, you know, the best product. Mandian is essentially that for incident response. Don't get me wrong. There are uh, excellent, excellent uh, incident response companies that aren't Mandian. But I'm just saying like when you're throwing around millions and millions of dollars, financial services companies, et cetera, Mandian's typically the one they call. Google acquires them. Now, I would argue Google says that they're going to continue to operate Mandian underneath the Mandian banner, which makes sense. They have street cred. They've got brand equity. Um, they've got contracts and retainers in place that are just printing money. So I think Google's whole move here was more about keeping this professional services that is Mandiant, obviously, but also continuing to shore up Google Cloud Platform as a legit service and beginning to offer potentially security services within the Google Cloud. If we look just for a minute, let's just talk about big, big, big money here, okay? If you look at Azure and how Office 365 has basically gone gangbusters on taking away market share from AWS, it, it, and they offer all of this security stuff, right? Microsoft Defender for Endpoint, Microsoft Sentinel, micro, which is a SIM, Microsoft Defender um, like for cloud. Then there is uh, Exchange Online Protection, Intune, right? Microsoft's getting all up in the britches of security solutioning. And they're getting a huge footprint of adoption. Google, which I would argue, it's like Amazon and Azure. And then like Google's like this, like, you know, like the little chihuahua that's like nipping at the big dog's feet. Like, hey, I want to do it. I want to do it. Right. Like not, no, no, no shame to Google. It's just compared to Azure and Amazon, Google's not that big. This will continue to push Google forward as a premier option in the cloud space. That's what I think that they're doing here. They're going to start offering sick security related tech or services or threat intelligence using this Mandiant capability. That's what I think is happening here. All right, Cassie Sams, love the subs, thanks. Paying the iron price for Retbleed mitigation. Back in July, we covered the discovery of a new speculative execution attack known as Retbleed, able to leak items in kernel memory like root password hashes. The release of mitigations quickly followed, but like other speculative execution workarounds, they exact a heavy performance penalty. VMware reports that performance on ESXi virtual machines using Linux kernel 5.19 with mitigations turned on resulted in 70% worse CPU performance, 30% slower networking, and 13% slower storage. Turning off the kernel mitigations returned performance to version 5.18 performance. No word on if the Linux kernel development team will revisit the mitigations to improve performance. Of course they won't. Listen, here is a perfect example of where IT and InfoSec diverge. And by the way, I am a realist. I do work in the GRC space, which does make me a person. I have feelings. GRC are people too, okay? 
but I'm not so blind to cybersecurity um, as a capability and as a core competency of a business to be ignorant to the reality of production and performance of mission critical systems. Jerry, you just said a bunch of words. What the hell are you talking about? Here's the deal. There is a fashion of vulnerability type that basically allow you to look at processors and kind of extract memory. Retbleed is one. Um, uh, Spectre uh, was another one. Heartbleed, I think, is another one. And, um, oh God, there was like two at the same time, Spectre and it began, it began with an M-A-L. Um, uh, hold on one second. It's, it's going to kill me if I don't, um, um, oh, what was it? Oh, what was it? It was, there was two of them. It was like a ghost and an orange one. Meltdown. There it is. Okay. So listen, it's a, it's a, it's a category of bugs, right? And the way that you fix it, the, the whole reason that these category of bugs exist is because basically um, the way that the, the, the firmware is programmed and the processor architecture and all that, it saves data that's being used frequently so it doesn't have to query the data at all. It's, it's stored in memory and it can push it right up real quick, right? So wicked fast performance because the data is right there. It doesn't need to call it, right? Well, the problem is threat actors have figured out how to look at that data while it's being stored there, right? So now we've got a confidentiality compromise, okay? All right, so how do we fix it? Well, we fix it by removing that performance bump and not storing the data there. Very simple solution. The problem is this right here. 70% performance hit, you cannot, like, I don't care. You can't, you can't accept it. That's ridiculous, right? You're either going to have to amplify the amount of investment you put into hard metal resources, or you're going to have to just accept the risk, which is GRC 101, right? Yeah, Elizabeth Perry, I'm from, I'm from just outside Boston. Uh, it's hard to, t you can take the kid out of Boston, right? But you can't take the Boston out of the kid. So check it out. 70% performance bump uh, or, or uh, nerf. You can't accept that, right? So here's where you have to do a risk calculation and say, okay, listen, what, how is Retbleed actually exploited? Can we put mitigations? So the easy way to do it is to put this fix in that has a 70% uh, nerf. That's not acceptable. So now as practitioners, we actually have to put our thinking cap on, work with our IT counterparts and say, listen, what can we do with this ESXi chassis in order to protect it from red bleed, or at least more importantly, know when it's been exploited or know, like, what are the chances of it being exploited? The likelihood, all this other stuff, right? So, and then, and then like, I'm, I can't read it right now, but Robert Buchanan's talking about unikernels. There might, <clears throat> there might be some new technology that supplants ESXi chassis and, v and VMware, vSphere's and all these other things, Right. But the TLDR here is that, yes, there is a patch, and yes, you can apply it, and yes, in a simple way, you could do it, but no business is going to accept a 70% performance hit, and this, actually, here's a, a pro tip for red teamers, okay? If you're an aspiring ethical hacker, pen tester, red team, or whatever you want to call it, and you attack a client, and your report, your report says... Patch VMware ESXi Retbleed discovered, and then you just hand it to them, you're probably not going to get hired back. Okay. You can't, you can't just tell uh, clients uh, of pen testing services to patch their stuff. 
because there's no value there. They they know that, right? You have to come up with like, you know, more, you know, creative solutions, ones that balance risk with business objectives and performance. That's all I'm going to say to this. Uh, it's just important to note that like, it's not always patch your stuff, right? Sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes it's not. Meta hands over the keys to PyTorch. <clears throat> Meta announced it will move control of its PyTorch AI platform to the new PyTorch Foundation under the Linux Foundation. The company had already open sourced the project when it launched in 2016, letting data scientists use Python as a programming language for AI models. The new foundation will work with maintainers and the developer community to evolve its ecosystem over time, serving as the primary drivers for new releases, features, and technical direction. Meta said it will continue to invest in the project, reiterating that it will remain its primary framework for AI research and production. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I don't know PyTorch from, uh, you know, from PyPy, <laughs> but um, Meta, obviously Deep Pockets has a deep learning framework called PyTorch and they're going to continue to fund it. If I had to guess, Meta and Facebook are using PyTorch in some way to uh, generate revenue for the business. You know, capitalism at its finest. There's no way they're investing heavily in supporting this out of like charity or goodwill. Um, you know, so anyways, it looks like uh, the PyTorch Foundation has several maintainers, a rich developer community, and a board of a governing board from Amazon, Google Cloud, Meta, Microsoft, Nvidia. Okay, so this thing is legit, uh, legit supported, legit, legit. So a lot of a lot of business, um, a lot of projects using it. It says here, PyTorch has become one of the leading AI platforms with more than 150,000 projects on GitHub. So you want to talk about open source software and supply chain? Like PyTorch is all up in businesses business. So, you know, it's going to continue to be sponsored. It looks like it's being run in a, um, uh, like a, a fair kind of community driven way. That's awesome. I will tell you fun fact about me. If I wasn't into cybersecurity or if I got cut a check for like $300 million tomorrow and I could do anything I wanted, don't worry. I would still do simply cyber because I love cybersecurity. But if I had free cycles, I would get all up in data science's face. Like I'd probably go get a master's in data science because I think data science is super cool. Commerce Department readies new chip sanctions. Earlier this month, it was reported that the U.S. Commerce Department sent letters to NVIDIA and AMD asking them to stop shipments of enterprise-grade AI chips to China. Now, Reuters' sources say the U.S. Commerce Department intends to publish new rules that would codify those restrictions on shipments of enterprise AI chips and sub-14 nanometer chip-making tools to China without a license. The initial letters restricted individual companies from shipping these chips. The new rules would apply to all U.S. companies. Um, okay. This is interesting. Again, I always preface these statements with i'm not a geopolitical scientist I'm, i don't have a degree in poli sci i'm just a nerd who loves cybersecurity. okay the story here is that the president of the united states is requesting or is going to make it law i didn't fully understand that chip makers in the united states cannot send chips to china so they're not sending tech to china um this is a further decoupling of our global economy, okay? Like right now, in 2020, like go back to 2019, like, you know, 
things are being made all over the place, right? Parts in China, parts in Taiwan, parts in Denmark, parts in England, parts in the United States, parts in Mexico, parts in Vietnam. And then they get, you know, flown around, assembled. Um, and then ultimately the product shows up on the shelf at the store. Okay. And this is global economy. Well, with the pandemic and all this other stuff, chip shortages, we're seeing, we're seeing uh, chinks in the armor of what a global economy is, the downside of it, right? You have supply chain issues. You, you, have, you begin to have concerns with some of the participants in the supply chain, right? Uh, th there was the super micro story that was unsubstantiated a couple years ago that Bloomberg released about the great hack and about how motherboards being produced in China were being sent over with a hardware backdoor put in and then getting shoved into Amazon's uh, server farms that in Apple was using them, right? So as, as tensions rise, right, as geopolitical powers begin to flex and take sides and stop, stop working in like this kind of kumbaya one global community and turning into a us and them community, we're beginning to see fractures where it's like, we're not going to do business with you anymore. So this is a decoupling of global economy. What I find interesting is that, yes, IDK, China could definitely do this to us too. And I don't see why they wouldn't. In the world of political influence and national power, I've said this before, there's four options. It's called the dime. Diplomacy, information, military, and uh, economics. If you want to influence a country, if you're a country and you want to in influence your power on another country, those are the four options. They can be manifested in many different ways, but at the end of the day, it's, it, they'll all map up to one or more of these four. This is economic right here. I think this is kind of interesting too, because as a nation, the, the president is saying like, hey, business that's in business for capitalism, business that's into making money, you're not allowed to sell your product over here to this customer base that wants it. Who, who by the way, we're not like at war with or anything. Just, you can't sell it. I find... I don't know. I'd have to do some more research. I mean, this seems like a little, like I understand why they're doing it, but it does seem like a little bit of a, um, I don't know, like a federal government overreach a little bit of, 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 of power. Um, but again, I'm not a geopolitical expert. I don't know everything about anything. It just on the surface, I hear these stories with you for the very first time as you hear them too. So I'd have to really formulate my thoughts a little bit more. So let's, let's do the read. And now thanks to this week's episode sponsor, EdgeScan. EdgeScan offers a single platform solution that covers the full stack from web applications to APIs to the network and data layer. Continuous attack surface management coupled with automated and strategic pen testing as a service yields fully scalable coverage. Laura. All right, we got a quick second for the read here. Um, I don't have much prepared on this. I just want to, here, let me do this really quickly. Um, oh my gosh. Let's do, uh, let's do this really quickly. All right, just really quickly on the read, y'all. I want to say thank you to all of you, as I always do. You guys make the show absolutely amazing. If you have not subscribed, to the Simply Cyber weekly newsletter that basically allows you to kick major butt at work before Monday's cup of coffee. I deliver an email with three actionable pieces of intel every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern into your inbox. So when you get to work, you consume it, you turn around, 
it's already actionable. Like you don't have to figure out what to do with it. I tell you, there's like a section that says, how do you use this? You just take it, you execute on it. Then you go get your cup of coffee and high five your boss on the way because they're like, how did we get so lucky to have you work here? You are amazing. And then you rinse and repeat every week, okay? Exclamation point newsletter in chat if you wanna dominate, all right? Sign up, make sure it doesn't go to spam. That's, that's about all I wanna say about that. I'm super in love with the email. All right, here we go. All right. I was running a minute late. My wife, I came home from teaching and my wife had made me like this amazing, like three egg omelet. And um, I, I went and ate it. <laughs> so I didn't have as much time to set up. It was so good. All right. Lauren's ransomware targets VoIP appliances. Security researchers at Arctic Wolf Labs spotted the ransomware organization targeting critical vulnerabilities in MyTel My Voice VoIP appliances. They obtained initial access over the phone systems before jumping over to corporate networks. Security researcher Kevin Beaumont estimates there are over 19,000 vulnerable Mitel devices currently online and patches are available. Oh my God. I'll if I don't see this picture again, I'll, that'll be okay with me. Like this is, this is such the token like hacker. All right. So a couple of things to pull out here. A ransomware gang, it's the Lorenz today, but as I say on stream all the time, it, you know, it's Vice Society last week. It was Conti two weeks ago. It's Lorenz now. They are uh, exploiting a critical vulnerability in a Mitel MeVoice VoIP appliance, okay? So here's the TLDR. There's two ways to really like get into your environment. One is through phishing, phishing your end users, phishing your Carl. And this works a lot of the time, but occasionally, and seen famously with WannaCry uh, through SMB shares and SamSam Sam ransomware, um, you can exploit a technical vulnerability and get in without having to worry about uh, end users clicking on things, okay? Looks like Lorenz is doing this. Here's the TLDR. If you are running a Mitel MeVoice VoIP appliance in your environment, you should absolutely hit pause on this stream and go investigate how to either patch the problem Put in a um, a workaround, right? Maybe you turn off some services or whatever it is that they're doing to exploit. Maybe shut it down. I don't know. Your response will depend on what your current configuration and implementation is. But just know, Kevin Beaumont, aka Gossy the Dog, which I'll show you in a minute, said probably using Shodan that there are you know tens of thousands of these uh, online right now. So if you're one of these. Yeah, 19,000 online, okay? If you're one of these 19,000, trust me, you do not want to be the victim of a Lorenz ransomware attack through this, especially since you know right now because of the threat briefing that this is actually happening. So go, go figure it out. And if you don't know, now you know, right? LOL. But no, if you don't know, message your director of IT, message your VoIP engineer, message whomever can tell you definitively whether or not you're running that. And if you can't get to that person, use Shodan and scan your network IP range and look to see if it comes up. You have multiple options. What I recommend you don't do is send an email and then wait and hope. And if you don't get a response, meh, meh, because it's incumbent upon you. You have the knowledge now. You need to find out. Okay. Second thing that's really important and worth noting, Kevin Beaumont, this guy right here is a must follow. 
This guy's a must follow on Twitter. I love this guy. I think he's from England. So UK people, I think he works for Microsoft now. Hold on. Yeah, I think he works for Microsoft now. Anyways, this dude's awesome. This guy, this, this Twitter account is like constantly dropping awesome information. And by the way, let me, can I, like, I love one of my favorite things about this guy. This is the guy who comes up with like a lot of the logos for vulnerabilities, right? He came up with Log4Shell. shell. He does it as a joke, but like he, you know, he's, he's big enough that the community takes, um, takes hold when he makes vulnerability logos. And you guys know how I feel about vulnerability logos. I think it's important. <laughs> okay. So you can see here, he did a Soden shirt for these Mytel boxes. Uh, the darker the color, the more there is. You can see that the United States is hot, hot red. Toasty. Right? So that's not good for us. So if you're in the United States, it also looks like UK uses this product quite a bit. We got a little South Africa. Looks like um, we've got a little bit of flare up here on um, like Suriname or uh, Dutch uh, or uh, French Guiana. Can't tell this little South America piece right here. But anyways, long story short, if you're running Mitel VoIP, do something about it. If you're running VoIP and you don't know what it is, find out. If you're not running it, you know, <laughs> consider consider the decision you made three years ago when you chose a different VoIP solution to be a good one. Albania again hit by Iran. The attacks come days after Albania severed diplomatic relations with Iran over previous attacks back in July. Albanian Prime Minister Edi Rama said the same actors from the July attack targeted the country's total information management system. The attack specifically focused on data storage and transmission systems. Attackers posted screenshots of camera feeds from the systems as proof of access. Iran denied involvement in the attacks. All right. Like, I made the mistake of looking at chat. Um, okay, so Albania officially withdrew diplomatic relations with Iran. Now, Albania is claiming that Iran has attacked them again. Iran is saying, we didn't do it. Of course, in our world, attribution is very difficult, right? It's very easy to fake where you're coming from. You can borrow source code from other people to make it look like attributed to them. You can make it very difficult, right? This Tim system, total information management system is what was under attack. Um, I mean, whatever, I guess it has video feeds in it, which is kind of scary, right? Like when you show video feeds, it usually resonates with people, um, screen caps and stuff like that, instead of just like, you know, uh, IP addresses. Um, I don't, I, I was looking at chat. I made the mistake of looking at chat. So I don't understand what the, um, what the gist of this attack was, but basically an important government system in Albania was attacked. Iran says it's not them. Albania says it was them. Thanks for the sub, Roy. And, you know, it's difficult to attribute it, but chances are, especially since Albania just pulled out, it could be Iran. You got to be, you got to be careful though. Like you also have to think, think like a movie, like Game of Thrones or something, which is a TV show, not a movie. I know, but um, Josh Mason called me out yesterday in chat. He like, words matter. I, I know. Sometimes I'm talking so quick. I make a mistake. Listen. You got to think too, who might it benefit if Albania and Iran tensions continue to grow, grow, right? Maybe there is a third country, a, a shadow player, somebody in a shadowy cabal who's trying to, you know, do puppet strings on a global theater, right? So 
like I said, it's easy to attack. What's up, Adam, for the sub? Thank you. It's easy to um, make it look like Iran is attacking Albania. Um, so it could be a third player. So don't just immediately go to the, um, oh, it's it's the people we just pulled out of diplomatic relations with and then throw like a haymaker from the back row into Iran's face. Chances are it probably was them, but without attribution, you can't make decisions and say, oh yeah, we're going to do that. Um, I would like to find out what this Tim system is and find out if there was any actually lasting impact or if they just um, had unauthorized access, kind of like a 1990s crash override, asset burn, kind of flex, like, oh, look at this, we hacked your systems, LOL, right? Or if they actually did something with it, I don't know. Chat, you guys are probably blowing up right now, like it said it in the story, Jer. HP pays the price for printer dynamic security. HP introduced its dynamic security on its printers years ago. It positioned it as a way to upgrade the overall user experience and maintain integrity of printing systems. Mostly, it just blocked the use of third-party ink and toner cartridges. The system often rolled out to printers with a firmware update, with users not realizing the change. The EU consumer rights group EuroConsumers reached a settlement with HP on the system, which will see HP fund up to $1.35 million for losses. This follows a similar settlement in the U.S. Um, okay. Finally. $1.35 million? Like, I know I don't have a million dollars, let alone $1.35 million, but I, I, I feel like that's too low. Right? Guys, if if you are involved with this, then you know dang well about this. This is one of the most annoying things. Okay, so the whole shtick, the whole shtick with printers is that the printers are cheap, but the ink is wicked expensive. It's bull crap, right? So third party knockoffs. Hey, it's called capitalism. It's called free market economy. Hey, you know what? This ink is wicked expensive. We can make the same ink that's 90% the quality. And it's a fifth of the price. Why don't you buy our ink? So people are like, woo, let's buy that ink, right? And HP's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're like giving these printers away. The ink is where the money is. Numbers are going down. Better get that. Thanks, Ashley. Better get that. Um, uh, make it so they can only use our print cartridges. So HP lurking in the night, drops a firmware update, claiming all sorts of features and functionality, but also making it so non-HP branded print cartridges couldn't work, which to me is bullcrap because now we're getting into this situation where I bought this product from you, but I but you're you're controlling how I can use it, right? It's not exactly one-to-one -one with John Deere tractors and being able to work on them or Apple iPhones and being able to work on them, but it's similar enough where HP's dictating that you can't use you know whatever product you want in their thing. And they didn't ask you to push this update, right? So I'm glad that they got their hand slapped. Way to go, European Union. I'm a huge fan, huge fan. Um, but at the same time, $1.35 million. Here's the thing. If you've been buying this ink for like years because you've been basically hamstrung into having to buy HP official ink only, I think other printer companies do this too, by the way then you've already invested like $70 for an ink cartridge when you could have bought it for $15 on Amazon. So you're already sunk like, you know, hundreds of dollars. Um, but anyways, like I'm, I'm just short of having like lick spittles flying off my mouth right now because I've always been pissed about this e egregious price point for printer cartridges. It's gross. Straight cash, homie. Exactly, Randy. It's what it's all about. This is this is kind of an a gross a gross abuse of capitalism.
Thank you, Jared Pierpont. 1.35 million, way too low. By the way, that's probably partly going to go to lawyers. Don't get me started on class action lawsuits. I need a button for that too. A TikTok that improves security. Researchers at the National University of Singapore and Yonsei University in the Republic of Korea developed a way to verify if a laptop mic is recording conversations. Dubbed TikTok with Ks, the device consists of a near-field probe, a radio frequency amplifier, software-defined radio, and Raspberry Pi SoC. It looks for electromagnetic waves that emanate from consumer laptop microphones when recording. The device proved able to detect mic signals on 90% of tested laptops, with all failures coming from Apple MacBooks. The researcher said this failure is likely due to Apple's use of aluminum bodies and short flex cables. Oh, my God. Be sure to check out the... Okay, so, I mean, this is a classic academic research thing, okay? Like, again, guys, I have a PhD. Like, I'm all about academic research, so don't, don't get me wrong. I understand the value in what academic research does, but the practicality of it isn't real. It's not practical, okay? So... Threat actors, whether it's, I mean, they're calling it TikTok here. And I think that's really just to help get mainstream pub publicity for this because it has nothing to do with TikTok at all. Basically, threat actors can write code that can turn on your microphone and turn your, um, your phone into a listening device, right? Like a wiretap or an eavesdropper bug or whatever, right? So instead of hiding it in your lamp, I just put my phone down or you put your phone down. You bring your phone into the, um, to the boardroom and I hear the secret conversations. This is why you can't take phones into skiffs, partly also for taking pictures and stuff like that. Well, you don't know if I've turned on your microphone or not, right? I can disable um, any lights or indicators, right? Pegasus, famously Pegasus software, that was one of its capabilities. Uh, Patrick Wardle has released multiple... Um, pieces of information. If you Google fruit fly, which was a uh, piece of malware Patrick Wardle discovered in like 2016, um, fruit fly, Patrick Wardle, Mac OS, that'll get you to where you got to go. Um, you could see some very sophisticated piece of malware turning on cameras, turning on microphones. Okay. So now that we understand what the attack vector is, how do we know if the microphone's turned on? There's no way to know if this iPhone is listening right now. This mic sure is listening, and boy, does it sound good, huh? <laughs> Anyways, so they come up with this, and this is why academic research isn't practical. They have a software-defined radio antenna. They have custom software. They've got all sorts of, like, tech that is, like, you know, garbled together in a kind of lab scenario, and then they're able to tell with the microphone on or off. And it probably has to do with the way like the microphone speaker is physically moving or, or resonating or any type of, I mean, it's not really emitting radio signals, so it wouldn't be that. Um, they talk about electromagnetic leakage of clock signals. Um, so anyways, they said it was impractical for Apple iPhones because the physical hardware is made of an aluminum body, which uh, interferes with the ability for the solution to work. Uh, but uh, I mean, I guess, you know, this is cool. And they called it TikTok to get picked up by mainstream media. But this is completely impractical in practice. You know, I guess to put it plainly. So cool research, um, you know, decent implementation. All right, let's check this out really quickly. Uh, yeah, let's do this. 
Yeah. All right. So that's it. We're at 43 minutes past the hour, guys. Um, I've been, I'm pretty proud of being able to stick to the 45 minute shows that happy medium between 30 minutes for people who want just high impact news stories and the 60 minutes of, you know, the pleasantries and the simply cyber community engagement and me making sound effects with my mouth (laughs) when the soundboard works. Guys, hopefully you've been enjoying um, a little bit of the new changes I've been making to the studio with the intro, the music intros and outros. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to constantly level up this game. You hear me? So this is Tuesday. Reminder, tomorrow's show is at 8 a.m. Eastern time. We will have a guest host as I will be traveling. Um, It'll be the same show. We'll try to do Worldwide Wednesday at the beginning. I will let the host know. Hopefully they execute on it. Woo! Great show today, people. Thanks so much for all you do. Go out, kick major butt, and we'll see everybody tomorrow uh, at 8 a.m. Cheers, everybody. Have a good one. Oh, okay. Hey, Poner Joe. All right. So, like, hopefully the podcast can cut there. Since I do have one more minute, I, I do want to uh, share this really quickly. So this Thursday, I don't know if you guys can see it. If you go to simplycyber.io slash streams. This Thursday at 4.30 p.m. at, at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time on Simply Cyber's channel, we will be having Virginia Case back. Now, Virginia is going to be live roasting. This is an entire working session. Virginia is going to be roasting LinkedIn profiles and side hustle websites. Now, if you're a member of the squad, you know that I've already opened this up to squad members as kind of an early access. We've gotten several people who have already submitted their LinkedIn profiles, a couple people who have submitted their side hustle websites. We've got a nice queue, but be sure to show up because we will be taking um, submissions from chat and doing them live on the stream. Virginia is very good at what she does. You got to remember, guys, she's not a recruiter like Joe Hudson. Love that guy. Joe Hudson, great guy. She is a marketing expert. What do marketing experts have to do with cybersecurity profiles? Well, she knows how to make personal branding. She knows how to use keywords that will resonate. People are human, man. When someone reads your profile, if you can have an emotional connection with them, if you can visually be appealing, the way your your the colors you use, the flow, the size font, the font type, what you're calling out to action, what you're telling people about yourself. This is all marketing. At the end of the day, guys, a resume is basically a sales advert for you as a professional. Your LinkedIn profile is a signpost of what people should expect from you. Who are you? They go to LinkedIn. That's marketing 101 and basic. So Virginia is going to take her big marketing brain and focus it like the eye of Sauron onto Simply Cyber community members, LinkedIn pages. And we're going to get massive value from her. So even if we don't do your LinkedIn profile or website, I'm sure there's going to be parallel takeaways that you can take advantage of. 
I can't wait. The second she was on last uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, as soon as the show ended, I was like, what do you think about this idea? This would be cool. She's like, let's do it. All right. Now that's going to do it. Thanks for the question, Poner Joe. Appreciate it. Didn't drop a spicy all. You know what? I flipped out pretty heavily on several of those stories. Spicy! So that's a retrospective spicy for the Simply Cyber community. All right, y'all. Be good. I'm uh, traveling tomorrow. Flights to and fro. So I'll see you at Elevate IT if you're going to be there. If not, I'll see you all on Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Take care.